I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 27, Episode 13 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. And we didn't figure out what order we were going to be talking again. <laughs> My name is Stu. And the free-for-all begins. <laughs> My name is Bill. Stork. Stork. I'm not going to make Kimmy go last. <laughs> I'm not going to be that dick. Kimmy. <laughs> and I'm Tyler. <laughs> right. In this episode of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Trenchworks writes in about playing a mixed, mixed in-person remote game. Ben from Texas writes in about XP for failure, and Joe Crack writes in about online dice rollers. And we might have a fourth email since we have enough people on here. I'll go and look for that. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We have social medias. We have uh, a Twitter, and we have an Instagrams, and a Facebooks, and a MeWe, Happy Jacks RPG, all one word. That's Happy Jacks RPG, all one word. If you'd like to watch the show live, go to happyjacks.org slash live at 7.08 p.m. Pacific time, and you can watch the show there and see our faces while we talk at you. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I have books out, and my third one is in proofreading now. Yay. You wow. Can, you can go to uh, so good. So I bought them both digitally. Okay. Sorry. Digitally, yeah. Yay. There you digitally. Go. Uh, you can go to stuvenable.com and uh, yeah, all the information to get them is there. Also, you can get the... I've, I've released the audio for the first book. Uh, the the audio book? Yeah. The audio book version of it as a sort of podcast. And it's, so it's rolling out like two chapters a week. So you can yeah. go in and subscribe to that and listen to the first one for free if you want. And cool. hear, me, hear me and see if you can hear all of the edits when I fuck up when I'm reading. <laughs> I don't um, think you can. Sorry. But. Yeah. And we have some announcements about Happy Jacks, too. Um, so we have been talking, and there's been... Obviously, like, we're all kind of, like, trapped in COVID world, too. So we are kind of going to consolidate with Happy Jacks a little bit. Um, we're still going to be doing lots of stuff, but we just aren't going to be doing quite as many APs a week. We're going to cut down on the number of days we're doing streams, because people are just kind of burned out, like... Like, I spend all day on Zoom for my job. A lot of us are doing that. So then in the evenings, people are like, you know, they love gaming with each other, but gaming through Zoom is a very different experience. Um, And also, Stu and I also are going to be cutting down on the number of things we're needing to manage. So we are probably going to be closing the forum. Um, It has minimal traffic anyway. Um, We'll probably do it like we've done in the past where we just kind of close it and lock it so you can still access what's been posted there. Um, But... The other things are much more active, um, and we will uh, we'll still be doing the Friday show. Obviously, uh, we might switch it to Saturday mornings for a little while. Yeah, because um, my baby doesn't go to bed um, at <laughs> Saturday mornings. <laughs> Her bedtime is seven thirty, so it's kind of kind of terribly timed for me to join in. Um, but so we're just going to be doing some tweaks like that. We'll make an announcement. We'll post about it. But just kind of like be looking for that. We're not going to cut down drastically on the number of APs. We'll probably be doing like four APs instead of six APs. Um, but just for like our sanity and management's sake. Is there anything else to add to that, Stu? Is that okay? No, no. The and <laughs> and the, the the change to Saturday mornings will probably not be for another three weeks or so. I'm guessing. Yeah, for, for a few weeks. Probably maybe November. I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, and and that'll be nice for the people in Europe because you'll be able to 
to see the show live not at 3 a.m. or whatever yeah. time it is in Europe right now. <laughs> and we've done that before. We've randomly yeah. switched it back and forth. So, um, yeah, if you have any questions, like, get in touch. But all of it's mostly just for Stu and my sanity. Um, and you'll still see all the faces you love and hear all the games you like. And, yeah. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, first email, uh, remote and in-person games from Trenchworks. Who would like to read that? Going once. I do it. Going twice. I read it. It's all American. Okay. Remote and in-person games from Trenchworks. Salutations, Jackers. I have enjoyed your show, and I would like to ask you for some ideas. I am 45 years old, and one of my gamer friends is a 13-year-old daughter. I am about to run a Monster Hunters Club game in the summer of 85. I'm assuming it's set in the summer of 85. Yes. He's not going to try and travel and run it in the summer of 85. You don't uh, know. But I don't know. I don't know. My friend's daughter is going to look up urban legends and monsters for us to fight and do all the background work for me. She's okay with the fact that the game is going to involve only adults who are old enough to have been alive in the 80s. So she knows that she's not allowed to be in the game while we play it. But since she's willing to put in all the effort to give us the monster of the week, she's going to be the boy in the bubble that can't leave their house but has access to all the information that the players will need. I am intending for her to be available by cell phone for the players to call in real life and at an appropriate time in the game. But she's really excited to play role-playing games in real life, not just online. Do you guys have any suggestions on how to make this experience for her more engaging to create and mold a good character for her in the future? Thanks, y'all. I think it's actually a really pretty cool thing. Like, she's going to do all that work, and then it's like, you're going to be the person they call because they don't have the internet. Right. The 80s, right. Right. So they're going to get on the phone and call their friend who knows all this stuff. And then that's that's how this person gets to play. That's a That's kind of a, a, a pretty neat um, way to include them. My first it, question it, is, why don't you just let letting her play? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. My very first question. Now, that could be that could be her dad, her dad's decision. It could be a COVID decision. Who knows? I don't know. But if dad, if they're playing in person and dad's there. I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense. Thirteen's definitely old enough to role play. I mean, my my kids were basically doing it on like live chats anyway, or getting together and they were pretending stuff. At thirteen, it's this. There's no stigma for it. It's they're they're really open to it and available for it. But I also think, and this is a great way. She's never role played before of sort of seeing how it's done. Right? You can lead by example because you learn a lot about. Why, learn a lot about role playing by watching other people's role play at least the first time, um, which is why APs I think are so popular. So maybe it's a good way to ease her in, so she understands. She's not going to get to watch other people role play. Well, she's going to be sitting at her at her house well, waiting to call her. Well, that's what I wonder. I mean, is, is it going to be on Zoom and she's also on the phone, or is, are they like in the house together and she's well, just their way by the phone? Or? Yeah, it's weird because the way I read it and the, from the title of it, it it feels like they're all playing in person. Let right? me double in check. Person and online. Right? right, and then she's the one that they call because she's not allowed to be there because it's only people that were alive in the eighties. Well, yeah, that's the vibe I got when I was hearing it, and this may be wrong, but it got the vibe of I wanted to include my daughter, but I didn't actually want to play with my daughter. But it's not right. his daughter; it's, it's one of his her friends. To be available by cell phone for the players to call in real life and at an appropriate time of the game. So it's going to be like when the players decide they need the information, that's when they'll call her. Is what I'm getting. Yeah, me too. And it's which not, is it's, interesting. It's not the guy who wrote the emails, daughter. It's one of yeah, the other one yeah, of the players. players yeah. One of the other players, right? Yeah. Right. So well, I mean, maybe, maybe yeah. 
I'm sorry, go ahead, Kimmy. I was going to say, yeah, it may not be even the GM's decision. Maybe the, the player father who's like, no, like she's not going to be in the game. Um, I, I mean, I hope that it's the father facilitating the calling every time. Just as someone who was once a, you know, young teen girl, having a bunch of people having my phone number. You wouldn't I give a bunch know. of 45-year-old dudes your 13-year-old daughter's phone number? <laughs> Nope. I just don't think that's a good idea. Just, I'm <laughs> sure you thought of that already, but I just want to like make that clear. No, I, no, don't no, I, no, I'm looking at the email. It look, I may have pulled the whole in-person thing out of my ass. Okay. Because it, well, it... All right. That, it, possibly. I'm, I'm looking... It still doesn't seem... Like, it still seems like, what? Just let her play. Like, so what if she knows a little bit more? Like, like it's not a big deal. Like, I, I don't I've know. Been, if you're afraid of her quality playing, I've been at cons... And kids are great role players. They're great. And it doesn't really affect the adults. They watch their language a bit more. And they actually makes them a little nicer to be around the table and stuff. Instead of just being dicks, they tend to, you know, be a little bit more conscientious with their wording and sometimes with their gameplay if they know that there's a 13-year-old around. But it doesn't it doesn't completely ruin the fun at all. And yeah. I, you were, I was constantly surprised at how great the kids are. And you know, we adults underestimate them all the time, and they just they, they go right for these great role playing choices. Yeah. I think I think here's the challenge, right? He part of the question that uh, Trenchworks asks is uh, make this experience for her more engaging to create and mold a good role player for the future. But that's not what you're doing. You're making a good GM for the future. Yeah, because this person yeah. is being a co GM. Yep. They're looking up stuff. They're giving you monsters. They're there as a resource for the players to call. Right, so I I wouldn't even know if I try to figure out how to make it a good role playing experience. I'd involve her way more in like, all right, here's what happened in the session. Help me figure out what should happen next. Like, well, for that she should definitely, GM. yeah, for that she should definitely be involved too. Yeah, like like I I don't know whichever way. Like personally, I think it's a better idea to get her into the role playing aspect of it first. Um, if she, it seems okay. She, like she's really into helping planning. Cool, that's fine. Okay, if she really wants to do that and make that choice, but either way, she should not be like doing the homework and then just like excluded from the actual sessions. Um, I guess I, I guess that's my request for more information. Is like why exactly is that happening? Like it may be a COVID thing. Like if they are meeting in person, dad doesn't want her, you know her leaving the house and stuff like that. But then my question is, why is he leaving well, now? Well, he may yeah. not be, because like I said, <laughs> no, the no. whole in-person thing, I, I kind of yeah. pulled out of my ass. So that, but, if, yeah. but if it's not in person, then it's even more the case, right? If right. you're all on Zoom yeah. or right. or Discord or Roll20 or whatever, like, great, just have her there, right? Even if she's not playing the character, to Kimmy's point, like, let her be in the session as a co-GM. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just that hands-on experience. It just seems like kind of like a tease, or like you're having her do kind of like the... The extra work, but not getting any of the, the fun part of it. Um, and maybe it's her choice. Maybe she's not comfortable yet. Maybe she's nervous about being there, in which case that's Maybe that's she doesn't like, want to play with a bunch of 45-year-old men. <laughs> and if it's her choice, that's totally different. But it, think, it doesn't seem that way. Yeah, no. I think given given the email as it is, he wants to find a way, how can we make the, the experience good and include her in this? Uh, have her start the sessions. Have her basically give a brief to all the players at the start of the session so she's the, the the focus at that point and she can you know info dump on them and then then they start the game that way she's not sitting there waiting you know for however long you're playing for just they might call you know give her something scheduled to do right 
There, there was then, a great cartoon out years ago called Kim Possible, and she always yep. had a she had a guy who was always her touchstone, who would, who would Wade, who would was a computer geek, and he would explain things. and And it sounds like that would be the perfect role for her, which is you know, they call up and say, "Where's this? Who's this? What's this?" And she has all the answers. Also, what, uh, I, I don't know, Spider Man, the guy in the chair. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, th- and the thing too is like, I I want to echo off what Tyler was saying, like like give her something scheduled to do that's important about the character that she's playing because when i was 13 i don't know many of you but i didn't want to be sitting around for three or four hours some night wondering if my phone might ring to see if my dad's gonna call well that was 13 i love sitting around on week- weekend nights waiting for a bunch of 45 year old dudes to call me <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. There might be a legitimate reason why she's not in the game. I don't know. I I don't know. It, it doesn't say. So Trenchworks, right back. Give us some more info. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you want to like, but you want to give her a better role playing experience, I'm playing the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> role play. Yeah. And don't. Right. And so what if she knows a little bit more? Honestly, since she's the one who was not alive during this period of time, like it probably just puts her on an even playing field with everyone else who actually lived in that time. So. Right. Also, we, because it's a monster of the week thing, like maybe maybe come up with a way like why her character's out of time there. That could be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like, there's a supernatural thing, or she's time traveler, or something. It's like, oh, she knows this stuff, but there's a bunch of stuff she doesn't know, and that's kind of the mystery that the characters get to figure out too. She's a historian like from the distant future, from the 2020. Right. Honestly, if it's if it's we don't want her to play because she wasn't alive in the 80s. Uh, I wasn't alive in weird fantasy medieval Europe where I was fighting dragons and stuff. Yeah. We make stuff up. That's how we role play. Yeah, that's and what I was going to say. I'm not a superhero. Just sorry. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it can be debated. Pretty close. Um, yeah, I was going to say the same thing, Tyler. It's like, yeah, I've, I've not a Victorian historian, and yet I've played some right? games in Victorian England. So you know, it doesn't stop me. Yeah. All right. All right, thank you, Trenchworks, for the email. Uh, XP for failure from Ben in Texas. Going once? Oh, I, should, I could probably do that one. Okay. Hold on. Let's see here. Let me find it. There Great, it is. Greetings, fellow travelers. XP for failure, Ben from Texas. Greetings, fellow travelers. I recently, as of the time of writing this email, listened to Happy Jack's RPG 2705, in which you discuss systems for character advancement. Much of the discussion centered around preventing advancement mechanics from interfering with the fiction of the game. One advancement mechanic that I don't recall being discussed is how XP is awarded in PBTA assistance. XP awarded for failed roles. Man, I would advance so far. Uh, I've had a blast running Monster of the Week campaign these past few months. At first, my players thought the system was extremely harsh, since even a decent role only gets you a partial success. Lately, though, my players aren't afraid to make moves that their characters are wildly unprepared for or just plain bad at. Some of this may come from the PBTA mechanic, where failure leads to a challenging story direction rather than just subtracting hit points. I've observed, however, that a lot of players tend to make tend to take a lot of risks to put their characters out on a limb, not just because something interesting might happen if they fail, but because failure gives them that sweet, sweet XP they <laughs> need to become monster-hunting machines. I even have players grumbling about how well they're rolling because they really want to take the bizarre move from the monsters book or switch to spell slingers player but play book because it fits their character's development and stirs up the overall story 
I've come to really appreciate how this part of the game counters the typical pattern where only the face character gets to talk to anyone outside the party and only the bruisers take a swing at anyone. That's my copper. Cheers, and thanks to all of you. Thanks for all you do. Take a drink. Ben from Texas. P.S. Stu is Waldorf and Stork is Statler. My other two copper. That's terrible. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, I don't know which one's which. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> Both the hotels look the same to me, too. Um, you know, it rewarding rewarding characters for failure is an interesting mechanic, but it it kind of makes sense in many, many ways. I mean, I'm sure it's said in the PBTA book, which is, you know, you learn more from failure than you ever do from successes, and, and pain is a great teacher of things, but it, it's also... It's also, you don't get punished for failing. You know, sometimes the dice just don't work, and rather than being punished for it, you can, at least there's, there's some good comes out of it. So, yeah, I kind of I kinda dig that. I mean, there's been some MMOs where you get punished for, like, you know, taking the wrong step off the treehouse, and you die. And you're like, what, what the fuck? That's not, this isn't fun at all. And I didn't, well, I learned that the treehouse, well, the falling damage sucks, but fuck you. It's rock, that sucks. <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a role playing game called Continuum. I think I've talked about it before on the show. It's a time travel role playing game, and every time you succeed at a skill check, you get a point for you know getting up to the next level. But if you fail, you get two points. So failure, you know, you learn like you said, you learn more from failure. And I love systems that do that, where if you fail, it's like, what did you learn from that? And then you get extra points for it. It does screw the story up because it keeps your players from doing making the safe choice. Sometimes they'll make the outrageous choice, which is a lot more fun game-wise and role-playing-wise because, well, there's a chance for it to go sideways and we all might get XP. Yeah. When I designed uh, Virgins and Vixens, I designed it like that because you get... you Your, your character advances through the, the system by when you try things that you're not good at specifically. So if you're charming and you roll, you know, and you have that as one of your descriptor words and you roll with that and you succeed, cool, that's fine, you succeeded. But if you don't have charming and you try and, like, charm somebody and it's not one of your things, because I think that, I don't know, in real life we learn from our mistakes so much. I think that that kind of mirrors a truth that's, that's more accurate in real life than in games where it's just like, okay, you only learn things, you know, you only advance when you succeed, and when you kill the monster, it's like, no, actually, the time you killed the monster and you had to run, you know, to save your ass and, you know, you figured out, oh, hey, wait, that didn't work. You probably learned a lot more and you became a much better adventurer for that experience than the ones when you're succeeding. You get more stamina because you ran. Yeah, exactly. I learned more. I feel like I, I learned more about how to drive by getting into accidents than by driving home <laughs> without any problems happening. <laughs> that is absolute, absolute truth. <laughs> I feel like a system like that where you, you get rewarded for trying things you're not good at also would help curb uh, like character creation min-maxing. Like dumping all your points into one thing. It's like, great, you're great at that. You're gonna That's going to be the one thing you do and you're you're good at it. And, but you don't skill up. I forgot which game I used to play. Or maybe it's something I played recently, but there is a mechanic... I forgot which game I used to play. <laughs> I forget the games I'm playing now. Uh, I think there was a mechanic that the worse you were to skill... The better the chance you were to approve it. Man, it's call, call of Cthulhu. Was it Call of Cthulhu? Call of Cthulhu, okay. call of Cthulhu does that, yeah. Yeah. When any you, any yeah. of the um, uh, any of the, like the the role master 
games do that too. Uh, Hard Master and Role Master. Basic, basic role playing. R- BRP. Yeah, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah, BRP. Like any any of those is a, it's a great system. I was playing in a Role Master, or actually a Hard Master game for a while, and that was the thing that was really interesting. Is like it the I you I would just try stuff, and whether you succeeded or failed, you still got rolls as long as you used the skill. But then if you got like a critical success or critical failure, even then you got two rolls, and the number you had to roll under. Um, was based off of your skill level, and it was a much higher number to roll under if you had a lower skill level. So it went opposite. So the higher and higher skill you had, the harder it was to improve it. Yeah, I think you have really to roll. Cool, you just tried everything. You have to roll. Oh, you have to roll percentile dice over over your yeah. skill level. Right. That's right. Over so the that, high, makes the higher. So, that makes so much sense. Yeah. It's such an elegant, like like solution for learning things, and then you can just try anything and learn it. But again, it, it balances out. The, it, at some point, it, you, you hit fifty percent, and you're you know, which is about how. Any of us ever get at anything, right? <laughs> it depends. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually running a Monster of the Week game right now, um, and it's the first PBTA I've run. Uh, and there's two things I really like about it. One is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, oh, great, somebody fails. Okay, one. Uh, the way I like about PBTA games is either a partial success or a failure is just great stuff for the GM. Yeah. So, mmm, delicious. More things for me to play <laughs> with. Um, but when the failure happens. Um, it becomes just like a oh oh experience market experience right like it's it's not oh uh, the thing didn't happen it's a complete downer there's an even low <clears throat> upside when things don't go the way you wanted them to go um, the other thing I like about PBTA is that I don't roll any dice so yeah. it's never the like oh man the GM's rolling really good tonight we're getting screwed it's like <laughs> uh, you're rolling all the dice I'm not rolling them I can't help it's the fourth time you failed your roll and now that you're in you know the Sasquatches loving embrace that's not my fault <laughs> yeah i love getting blamed for my good rolling when i'm jamming though. <laughs> like a motherfucker when you're jamming though it's astonishing you gotta have something oh, to make up for your crappy oh, tactics i know <laughs> i think there's good things about both like I, there's great times where the gm's rolling and there's that anticipation of like oh god did i beat you know, did i beat your roll and that's there's a fun dynamic there but it also is great um like, as a GM, I also prefer, like, the PBTA style where I do more story than actual maths. Um, just because, I don't know, I, I, that's the part I enjoy about GMing. Um, but, you know, it's cool when you're, you know, the player and you're like, aha, I got ten more than you. Suck it, Stu. Ha <laughs> ha. Right. Because uh, you know, that's what I sound like always in the game. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I get it. When it gets to be too dice there's too many randomizers. It turns into bookkeeping. You know, everybody starts writing numbers down. You start comparing and looking. And after a while, you, you what were we doing again? Yeah, you get so caught up in adding up numbers. That's a yeah. common complaint about GURPS. Yeah, or hero. You know, you know I, yeah, I like because I really love playing Wild Talents, and there's a shit ton of dice rolling in that. So I guess it just depends on the system. Right. Yeah, yeah. but Wild Talents dice are easy. Yeah. Well, it's it's also just like because it all happens so quickly. Like, you know, you've got a million dice, everybody rolls at the same exact time, and then you get to tell the story based on what the dice say. So if there's not, like, that uh, turn-taking aspect of it... Um, yeah, you're not that, watching someone else roll dice and do math and then screaming inside your head because they can't add quick enough. Right, yeah. Hey. But it just is, like, by the time it gets to your spot, you're, like, you have to pay attention. I don't know. It, it, there's something about games that have a lot of dice that you take turns with that sometimes as a GM it's hard for me to, to probably because my ADHD like really fixate that much and like really pay attention to what everybody's doing that whole time so PBTA and like 
uh, in Wild Towns where it's one roll all at the same time or much better for my brain. That's why when I run D&D now, there's no initiative. Everybody just shouts their actions at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right Whoever's loudest goes first. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Right. There's a there's an interesting little side conversation with Ed from Minnesota happening in the in the stream chat. We're talking about story driving character improvement, right? Or character improvement driving story, um, and what those things are. Um, and it's interesting, like like Ed's saying, you know, character growth is driven by story, and that can change in every session. It's not driven by how many rats you've killed. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah, and I think like story can be used to drive character improvement, right? Like it doesn't have to, but. Um, it's that idea where uh, something happens in the story, right? And because it happened, that then leads to what the improvement is. That way you're like, I got better at this gun skill because these events happened and I was forced to do this or I met someone who was an expert marksman and I took time to train with them. Like the story drives those things as opposed to, well, uh, ding, I got a level. I have four points to spend. I think I'll take guns, right? right? Which to me is like the worst way to it. Yeah. Well, that's what we used I, to do. I, that's what we used to do when we played GURPS mm-hmm. all the time. Everyone would have to have some sort of in, in-game justification for why they were spending the point, their experience points they were spending. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I like, I like games like, where there's like a follow-up after the session. You know, what did your character learn? What, what happened to your character that made them improve? What, what did they get worse at? Things like that. Where there's, and that's how you derive your character improvement. Um, despite the fact that all I ever play anymore is 5e. Um, <laughs> I, I love systems like that, and I, I'm trying to get away from it, 5e, into other games that are more narrative like that. Well, I don't see why you can't tack that onto a, the end of a 5e game without any, you know, drama. <laughs> Tell us why, Tyler. <laughs> you, look, you look like that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the improvement in, in, in 5e is strictly numerical. I, I don't see a way to make it work well. Whereas, you know, a, a different game, like like a White Wolf game, where it's you have various skills and things like that, you could you could say why you improved a specific skill. Because, yeah, well, and it's supposed to be done with enough hacking, but... Well, I know, like, in 4E, you know, once you dinged up a certain level, you got a list of skills that you could pick from. You could pick one or something from... So you could justify, this is why I got these skills at this point. Although at one point I think I leveled up and got all new all new spells or whatever. It was like this makes no sense. Why do I uh, the the EverQuest RPG? There's a tabletop RPG for EverQuest that every level you just got a set amount of points, and that was how you could buy your feats or your skills or your your spells and things like that. And that was pretty neat. That and that neat. could be used the same way, but uh, nobody ever played that game. <laughs> Well, because you'd step off a treehouse and die, and it was die. the worst. <laughs> Get killed by a rat when you finally left the town the first time. Which game was this? Which MMO was this? EverQuest. Uh, EverQuest. Oh, EverQuest. Yeah. All right. Anything else on this Which one? It's still going. Is it? Is it really? It's yeah, there's going. servers. There's still servers up. It's owned by uh, another company. Sony sold it to a company called uh, Daybreak, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in San it's Diego. Very much a uh, uh, pay-to-win, cash-driven <laughs> game now. I remember when EverQuest was coming out and it was in beta testing and I got into beta somehow and I was trying to fight a rat, like the classic level one. And and my the the stats were because it was in beta were so broken, I couldn't hit the rat and the rat couldn't hit me. <laughs> so it was like whoosh, 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 
whoosh. And I was like, I wonder how long this will go on. So I left it running overnight when I was at work. Oh, my God. I went home. I came back the next day and was like, oh, my character's dead. I guess it finally got me. And I scrolled back to the combat log. Now I died of starvation. I can still remember the rat attacks. I was like, for hours, I'm sure. Now, was it that game or was it uh, Dark Age of Camelot that had that that little brownie that you can almost never see? That one. It was EverQuest. Was it EverQuest? No, yeah. Both of them had it. Yeah. They had Comptes in Dark Age of Camelot that were similar. But yeah, that little brownie. Bastard and EverQuest. You were running. You had to run through the. Was it the Kith? You had to run through the forest. Uh, and running. Yeah, Fade that's Arc it. Yeah. Yuku. Just. So, Kimmy, EverQuest is an old MMORPG <laughs> that was out when you were like two, maybe, maybe before that. You might no, not no. be born yet. It came out after Ultima Online, which is what I played. But oh, I was hardcore Ultima Online, and anyone who left Ultima for EverQuest was a traitor. <laughs> and we hated them. Because there can only be one MMORPG. Yeah. There can only be one. I think Lurch, the other base in uh, in Boggards, might actually still be playing Ultima online. Yeah, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of servers still active. And, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I still have dreams about it sometimes, where I because I, I spent so many hours looking at that screen for so many years. I'll have a dream where it's like me, and I'm not playing. Like the world is Ultima. It's very bad in 2D. It's very strange. I've, I've said this before, but I always found it so fascinating because I <clears throat> I rebooted EverQuest not too long ago, maybe a year or two ago, and they have like a whole new thing where you can start again. And at one point, I decided to go back to the old towns, right, which are empty. But I wandered through there, and I, it was like it was like that scene in Patton where he's standing there looking. He's like, "There's a bad spot here," and I'm having these memories of like, "Oh yeah, my my guild raided here." Oh yeah, that's where I fell out of that tree. And oh yeah, it was, yeah, it was it was nostalgic in a lot of real ways. I was actually getting misty in places. I'm like, "Oh yeah, I had so much fun." Because like you, I spent hours there, and I got to know the maps, you know, in the area and the zones, like you know, the back of my hand. And so wandering through them again, and they're all empty, and I was like, it was just a weird experience. And it's a digital space I've never been in, and yet I knew it. Yeah. Like, I'd been, I was so, yeah. I, don't know I, that I still get that Alaska. Skinner Box reaction to the uh, the EverQuest uh, level up sound. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still go through and I still do uh, the Lich King raid every once in a while, and I'm very nostalgic for when we were ba- battling our way through it, Phil and Tyler. <laughs> And like Tyler's like yelling in the headset, "Don't do that!" <laughs> Sorry, continue. This is way off topic. All right. Uh, thank you, Ben from Texas, for the email. Uh, online dice roller from Joe Crack. Who would like to read this one? I'll read this one. Okay. Uh, online dice roller Joe Crack. Uh, hey, the crew and Stu. I'm catching up on episodes and hearing some discussion of why people would use an online dice rolling program or app like Roll for Your Party and Roll Dice with Friends. For me, in a lot of games, I play at conventions and online, and a lot of the fun is when the table gathers around watching those dice roll to see how things turn out. An online dice roller app simulates that experience of being able to watch the dice fall and people react. Obviously, not everyone shares this small bit of pleasure, but I find it to be fun. Oh, and something <clears throat> someone said that Roll for Your Party sucks. Is it? Okay, there you go. It used to be great, but if I recall, it had trouble re-rolling selected dice, so that's been my problem with it. Though if I delete the dice and roll new dice, it works fine. A dice roller app doesn't need to be pretty, it just needs to work for me. Joe. Yeah, roll for your party is the one where it, it it's like, there's no, there's no graphics. 
it looks like it's all just numbers. It's got a bunch of boxes on it. I had one that I got that that had a little dice or whatever, and it was it was not real intuitive to set up, especially if you're doing something like Savage Worlds where you needed different dice for different things, and it just found it to be clunky. I just kind of feel like somebody makes me make a nice intuitive dice roll. You just either on your phone, you hit the dice you want and the number you want, and you roll them, or there's you know, dozens you know, of those. You know, it's crazy though. If you just go into Google and type <laughs> online dice it roller, it no, it just brings up one in your Google. Browser. Oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't even take you yeah. to a page now because that's how popular having an online dice roller is. You just get it from like default Google page. Yeah, but like Roll Twenty has one built in. D and D Beyond has one built in now, and you can actually buy different like skins for your dice, and it will roll them on your screen. It's not shared; other people can't see it, but mm-hmm. it's there. So if you really need to see dice rolling, it does it on your screen for you. Yeah. There's a new but, um, online role-playing platform that just got came out, too. Is it Le- Le- Legend? Is this what it's called or something? I don't know. I, I don't remember what it's called, but I saw it the other day, and they're like wondering if it will mm-hmm. compete with D&D Beyond and Roll20. Um, so I'm interested to see... I haven't loved anything. I mean, like, I mean, especially like with the paid services and stuff. I, I don't know. I've never found that there's also because I don't play D and D. People who play D and D do say it's definitely worth playing with the, uh, on those platforms because there's so much built in there. Um, I at play since I never played D and D. Really, I, I've never found them completely super useful. Um, maybe if Decima gets on one of them someday, um, but I don't know. I, I'm interested to see what this platform is, is giving. Well, D&D Beyond is not like a, an online platform for gaming. It's just a repository you can hold character sheets and, and put in campaign information, but it's not like Roll20 where it gives you the maps and, and the <coughs> chat room and everything like that. Oh, I thought that it's they just, had... it's just it's all the It's all the books and character sheets, basically. I thought that they'd added um, some functionality for online gaming. I don't, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I know they definitely have things that you can build in. It may be... I can't remember. I don't know. Let me Google for a moment. Okay. There's, there's one that I've been looking at that I want to get. It's just entered early access. It's called Roll, R-O-L-E, and uh, it, it's... Uh, oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I, I, it seems really intriguing. They had a Kickstarter for it and everything, <clears throat> and it sounds like they're, they're doing everything right. They're kind of taking all the lessons learned from all the other online gaming you know, platforms and condensing it and making it simple. So I think that might be the one I want to try if I ever start doing a, a game online. But again, sometimes you just join a game, you use whatever they have. Hmm. Yeah, there's oh, yeah. actually one I was just looking at. Um, it's if you go to like uh, a.teal.info floor slash dice, it's like a really like attractive die roller and it's got all the dice laid out and you just like like you click on it like click click I want two d6s and I'll take a d10 and a d20 and you click throw and then it graphically throws them out there and then tells you which the dice is and gives you a total cool and uh, I'm like oh so that there's like there's like so many there, there's a lot of nice little ones being put out there I think the thing that becomes interesting is when somebody figures out how to put everything together to give really powerful tools to GMs that then makes it also really inclusive for the players, right? But as like simple to use as possible, right? Mm. Where it's just like, oh, hey, everybody grab this. Okay, boom, we're on. And it's not like hard and cryptic and you have to be half a programmer to understand it. And, you know, that's, that'll be the, that'll be the one that grabs 
you know, a ton of people because a lot of folks are on Roll20 now and it does a lot of really powerful stuff, but it feels like there's a big learning curve when you first get on there on how to use everything. Yeah, yeah we quizzed Tyler about that, I think, the last time he was on because he, he's, he's no fool when it comes to computers and even he said it was a challenge. Am I putting words in your mouth? No, it's, it's pretty accurate. I, I still don't know how to do half the stuff with it. Yeah. I get stuff to work sometimes and I don't know how. And then my players will be like, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I can't tell you that. It's a secret. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Fantasy Grounds is the one I was thinking of. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, Roll20 yeah. and Fantasy Grounds are the biggest ones. And Roll20 is if you have uh, more time than money. And Fantasy Grounds is if you have more money than time. <laughs> because of the stuff that's built for it. That makes sense. That's a, that's a great elevator pitch right there. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Joe Crack, for the email. Anything else on that one? And I'll I'll, I'll get a bonus email. Okay. I found this is from Jonas Larson. My dearest podcast, my dearest of podcasters, podcasts, my dearest of podcasts. I can't read on a computer screen. Apparently, I bring you good news and bad news. Good news. I'm gonna make this bigger because my old eyes can't see it. There we, oh, there we go. <laughs> the good news is that my oldest son, eleven years old. Uh, has started uh, to love uh, RPGs. Something I've always hoped for. I, I would love to know what that's like. Uh, it started uh, with uh, that he became, he came to me to, and asked if I could run a game for him and his friends for his birthday. Sure, he specifically asked me to run D&D. I blame our mutual love for the Order of the Stick for that. But I decided uh, to not be a stick in the mud by insisting that we run a better game like Savage Worlds or Forbidden Lands instead. Said and done. We ran D&D and my son and his friends had a blast. He had been uh, on me ever since to run another session. The problem is, I thought it was awful. The kids shouted and screamed all the time. Uh, No one was listening to what the others said. They even got so excited that they physically jumped up and down, overturning glasses and chairs. I obviously don't yet have the correct tools to run a game for this age bracket. Uh, So if you know anyone that is great with these kinds of things... That's me looking at you, Kimmy. Um, (laughs) Okay. I don't know, like, a cosplaying teacher or something. Maybe <laughs> that person could give me some strategies to make my games better. Uh, shall I make it more clear uh, at the start of the session what is expected from them? Uh, write down rules of conduct that they should follow. Curl into a ball under the table and cry until my kids have reached a sensible age. Jonas Larson, a flummoxed <laughs> dad. Yeah. I mean, all of those sound like a good plan together. Um, <laughs> I don't know, his description of the game sounds just like any normal game. I don't know. <laughs> an adult's playing. Nick, how great is it that they were so excited that they were jumping up and down and knocking stuff over, though? Like, I, I mean, I know you like cleaning up the mess probably sucked, but that that's like such a huge success. It's, like, that's fantastic. I mean, that sounds like a successful game. The players had a great time. Right. Yeah. That was my first reaction. What do you need to improve? What do you need to fix? It sounds like they had a really great time. Yeah, and he's begging you to do it again. Um, yeah, as far as them not paying attention and stuff, I mean, that, that's kind of part, yeah, part of the course for the age group. Um, maybe work on, I mean, definitely sitting them down at the beginning and saying, hey, I'm so glad you had fun. Um, like, here are some agreements, so this is what we do. 
Um, so like, we, you know, it's really important that we all pay, pay attention. Um, having, I know I've said this before, but having some sort of for when you're doing, um, like the, the combat and it's different people's turns, like having some sort of, I don't say, like the conch or whatever, like the, or the talking stick that you pass around, um, just to like, Hey, this is your turn. So everyone's kind of paying attention to that person and they can kind of keep track. Um, if you really want it to keep flowing, maybe do like time limits. Although some kids will react very negatively to that. Um, just with like a little, like uh, an hourglass would be super cool. Um, you can get like those two minute timer hourglasses that they have for brushing their teeth, you know, get one of those and like, okay, this is your two minutes to tell me what you're doing for your turn. Um, things like that to kind of just keep it moving. Um, having, uh, if you're, if you're finding that while they're sitting there making choices, I'm actually write, started writing a, a booklet about this. I should definitely like finish it. Um, <laughs> uh, have like a, a little list of suggested things they can do. Like you can attack, you can, you know, do- dodge, you know, so it's not telling them what to do, but it's just kind of a little like list that they can reference when they're trying to think of what they can do in combat and other things. A um, map. Yeah. Just to player mats for um for our L5R yeah, game, but also for yeah. Savage Worlds. And they come in really handy when you're in the middle of combat and you forget what you can do. Oh yeah, there's this option, this choice. Yeah. And those are really great too, like a little cheat sheet with what, you know, what do you roll for certain things? Um, if you're finding that they're having trouble and they're asking over and over and over and over and over again what they, what do I do? I want to hit him, what do I do? Like, that way you have that on that mat. Because even I, as a, as a woman, like, really accept, like, love when, like, people remind me um, hey, this is this game. This we this is the ro- game we roll these in. Okay, okay. Um, and as far as their behavior, like you do different things. If they are outright misbehaving, like they're trying to be dicks, you're going to handle it in a very different way than if they are just becoming so enthusiastic and so exuberant that they're knocking things over. That's a simple reminder. That's maybe get those little glasses that don't tip over. Um, things like that, like find those fixes rather than putting a bunch of rules on them so that they feel self-conscious about celebrating and enjoying themselves. Um, that would be my biggest thing. Cause you don't want to, you don't want to squash that enthusiasm and that just unbridled joy that they're having. Cause you're doing a kick-ass job. It sounds like, um, and putting a whole bunch of, well, we can't jump around. We need to, you know, that's going to, it's going to take the fun out of it. Maybe try gaming in your backyard or, I mean, at this point you're probably, I mean, I don't know if maybe you are still gaming together, um, but gaming outside is not as many spill problems. Like they can knock shit over and it's not as big a deal. Um, so, and they can be louder and it's not, not a, you know, as, unless you have neighbors who care, but kind of think of fixes like that rather than trying to like quell their, their sense of achievement and, and love and passion and, shouting. I don't know. There's there's a suggestion that ties in with that that I was thinking of, which is take multiple little breaks. Um, have them go to the bathroom or just enough to blow off some steam or just to decompress. Uh, you know, find a time where it's like after every maybe after every 20 minutes, you take a 10-minute pee break, and it gives them a chance to go get some water or whatever else. And also, you know, cut down on the sugar. Don't have a lot of sodas or something else because it'll make them all jangly and, and really ready to just explode. So, you save the uh, sugar for the end of the night when you're going to give right. them back to their parents to take them yes. home. <laughs> yes, they always enjoy that. But uh, having multiple little breaks in between just to let everybody calm down and you know run around uh, will help yeah. a lot. I mean, we even had to get those, those unspillable wine glasses for ourselves here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
in the uh, in the uh, chat, <clears throat> excuse me, in the chat, Davy O'Mac put something that I was thinking about. I don't know if it would work really with kids, but it would be super interesting is using a chess clock. And I was thinking like there'd be some really interesting mechanic where you like it's your turn, and then you like the, the the GM's like okay and go boom and hits it, and then however long you have to take to do your thing, and you hit it, then that's what the GM has to respond. Mm-hmm. Like oh. not with ki- uh, with kids, that might be too much, but like that would be a crazy system where you're like oh uh, and go and I cast fireball. You're, like, you're just you're trying to get the GM to have to like react too quick, so you're just like how fast can I do my stuff? Would you have to resolve your roles and everything too? Would you have to make your role and like tell the GM your number before you get the clock though? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah sure. I think so. Uh, that would actually yeah. that, um, that would really limit. Back thinking, go ahead. Uh, that would really limit d- d- the amount of time you could take for combat. Can you just say who? <laughs> yeah. Like because you said it like okay, there's going to be each side has ten minutes on the chess clock, and then when that time runs out, whoever's doing better, the other side ran away or something, and the combat is just simply resolved. I love mm-hmm. that idea. You can even apply character modifiers to it. Like the faster your character is, the more time you get. Mm-hmm. Oh right, yeah, you guys are quick, so you get an extra minute on the clock. Yeah. Right. Okay, great. Um, but but getting back to to, to running D and D for kids, or not necessarily D and D, but games for kids. Um, I've run a few games for for uh, students when I was working at the school, and one thing I like to do was give them physical activities to do. Yeah. Like I had a group where the players needed to. Um, they needed to stop some goblins that were about to go up in balloons and drop bombs on a village. So I set up like a balloon. I blew up balloons with a crate and I gave them uh, sharpened pencils. I said, you guys got to stop those balloons. And based on their role, I would let them get closer or make them be further away from balloons and they would have to pop the balloons. Mm. That's stuff genius. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Things I, just, I love is, doing stuff like that. Yeah. It's like I, when I run grim games at cons, I always have a physical element that the players do in character. And it's and in that setting, it's adults being kids, but to let them do something that's not the dice and the mechanics, but lets them start to get into their character, right? And it's been everything from uh, from build a 3D puzzle house, which was the worst one because that took way too long, to everybody got handouts and they had to color them, to writing Valentine's cards for like the other characters, and different stuff like having an actual physical component that's not the mechanics right that lets them do those things that's naturally engaging whether it's art or music or building something or whatever it is could be helpful too but if you bring it into the game that could be a cool element i've had simple go crazy i've had simple substitution ciphers that and that that's always a big hit and i think bill you were in my my fey realm game that i did and i had a a puzzle but Mm -hmm. it was a door puzzle and that and suddenly all the players were up off their seats and huddled and everybody's got a piece and they're moving around and there's a discussion and everybody really loved it and it only took like five minutes for people to figure it out but it was such a nice little distraction from the game um yeah that's a great idea bill something interactive and and i was running um uh weeby goblins for pathfinder for a bunch of kids at a con once and there's a there's a a challenge where the characters have to eat as many of uh bugs as they can for some tribal thing and i thought oh i should just get a bunch of gummy candy just throw it on the table and be like whoever eats the most wins and i i ran it by my wife and she was like that is the stupidest thing (laughs) don't do that have a bunch of injured vomiting children who are way too hyped up (laughs) i don't know if they have i still don't see the downside (laughs) 
for 5e, but, but I think there was a guy named uh, D&D Dad or something, and he wrote like a yeah, hand, um, 4e, I think it was. James Stowe, and it was okay. D&D for Dads. And, yeah, and, and it's it, a great resource for because he was dealing with his kids. So they're young. He made simplified character sheets. He has all these little um, tips that he that he gives out. So if you're listening, check out that. Is it a website? Does he have a book? I, um, I know there's I, a I lot of resources. I up anymore. It was a mm. long time ago. So. Um, while he's looking for that, uh, the other thing, like like related to like puzzles and things like that, make sure at the, the start of the session you come up with some sort of decision-making mechanic for when they can't decide things together. Because this is not an age where they're going to be able to discuss it and come to a resolution on their own. So, like, say, okay, for each action, we're going to talk about it for X amount of time, and then we're going to vote. Um, and you can do a silent voting where you, they each write on a paper and you pass it around, and that way it's, you know, they can write whatever they want. They don't have to, like, be angry at each other. Um, or you can have them raise their hands, like, you know the group best, whatever would work best. But that's also really important for this age group. Because um, as adults, we can kind of talk about something and eventually, eight hours later, come to a resolution about what is <laughs> what is the best course of action. Um, <laughs> but uh, kids can't really do that. They will just stick by what they think. and they just... Adults can barely do it. Yeah, yeah. they think it's simple. Like, fine, we'll do it your way. Fine. Right, but... exactly. Um, so, so have some sort of thing that you agree with, uh, that you agree on with them ahead of time, whether you're informing them before you make any decisions and also limit the discussion times because kids will hit a point where they're just going in circles, saying the same things over and over. Um, if you're lucky, they'll word it differently, but they don't always. Um, <laughs> so like limiting discussions, to, like five to 10 minutes or whatever you think is appropriate for your group, um, will also kind of help keep things moving as well. Um, and finding, I know there's a bunch of different things. They've kickstarted little booklets. Um, I have like a journey adventurer's guide or something somewhere here um, that are really cool, neat looking for note taking during games. So have that and maybe have everybody have their own or have one person that you pass it around each game. Make sure you're making, you know, if, if one of them's dyslexic or things like that, make sure you're taking disabilities um, into account because that would make a game very unfun for some kids. But if you find some cool kid-friendly like note-taking sheet, um, that could also be a great way for them to continue paying attention. Um, you don't want them to be writing a ton of stuff, but you could probably, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's probably stuff like this out there somewhere where it's like, hey, monsters we fought, but, 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 and like it's just like one-word things and notes as they go along that they can then reference next time they play. I actually do that when I'm GMing. I have a like a four four boxes on a page and it's characters they met, places they went, um, things they forgot. <laughs> stuff like that. That's the biggest list, right? Plot there. books they've dropped. <laughs> stuff they just flat out ignored. <laughs> did you find that reference Tyler, that. for the for the DVD Yeah, app? I put it I put it in the chat. It's jamesstow.blogspot.com uh, from back in 2011. Yeah, he did a the like, 4E character sheets blog, that it. were really awesome. He's got a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah, the character sheets, I, I remember saving them on my computer back in the day because I thought, found them to be really cool. It's just, they're just All the info's there, it's just the graphics are different and they're really good. They're easy to look at. They're, they're fun. Yeah, it's like a character portrait and then the different actions they can do. And it's basically, it's, it's 40. Yeah. Although I did see something on a forum. I was Googling it as well, and there might be some updated stuff for 5th edition That's cool. out there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, though. 
you could probably take it and at least and modify it like even if it doesn't have all the updated like math and system stuff like the the list of actions you can take are going probably going to be very similar like having a little picture of your character like all that stuff is stuff kids will love you know i remember i don't i don't know about 11 years old though i might be a little too old for that but remember when we ran that uh What's it called? Hero Kids? Hero Kids, yeah. And I think Zach- no. Zachary was the oldest kid, and I think he was nine or eight. I don't remember how old he was. He, I, he was younger than that. I think he was like seven. Yeah, Hero Kids is awesome. If you go to Drive Through RPG, there's a bazillion different adventures for it now. Yeah. Um, they're all like $2. Um, that one's um, aimed at um, five to nine year olds, though. But if your kids are having trouble keeping track of stuff, like they don't know that, so run it for them. Um, and it's great. It's like a little like like training wheels into D&D for kids. Um, it's very simplified. I adore that the character sheets are coloring pages. Yes, that was the thing I was going to mention was the fact that that I don't know if that would work for 11-year-olds, but for the kids that age, giving them a bunch of colored pencils or crayons and their character sheets that yeah. when when things get slow, they've got something to do right away. Everybody loves to color. Adult yeah. coloring books are flying off the shelves mm-hmm. right now. So yeah. it that's that never goes away. Yeah, like I cool coloring. Girls coloring book for a friend. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Laser Pony says that too. Um, and I'm I'm designing a kids game right now, and I'm also stealing that fantastic idea. And the and the character sheets are going to be coloring pages. It's brilliant. Nice. All right. Anything else on this one? We're good. Yeah. Going once, going twice. Go oh. follow uh, and and sign up for messages from goldenlassogames.com because eventually I'm going to finish writing the darn booklet that I started the first time someone wrote one of these emails. <laughs> and then you'll know that it's there and you can look at it. Your kid's probably going to be 25 by then, so it'll be too late. But... <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play us out. Where is cool. it? Thank you for joining us for Season 27, Episode 13 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I am Bill. I am Stork. I am Kimmy. I'm Tyler. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week, 7 p.m. Pacific Time on Friday, happyjacks.org slash live. Thank you very much, and stay safe. of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Why problem make when you no problem have you don't want to make?